Voice Live from CES is an official event within the greater CES program, where the world's top brand leaders will share insights about how they are engaging customers through voice-enabled devices in our homes, cars, hotels, and more. To learn more about how you can be a sponsor, speaker, or attend Voice Live from CES, visit voicesummit.ai slash CES. That's voicesummit.ai slash CES. Micah Copens is a UX designer who believes that it's important to put the human element into UX. Listen in as she talks about what being inclusive in voice actually means, how a company can create an amazing experience, why using empathy and feeling matters most in creating UX design, plus how she starts the process with her clients when it comes to designing their voice experience. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your co-host, Carrie Roberts. And today I have on Micah Copens, a voice UX designer with a passion for voice sprints. And I love this title. Welcome, Micah. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Carrie. I'm really, really excited and happy to be talking to you. So I was reading online that you describe yourself as sensitive and a true empath, which is why you got into UX design. How do you think these things correlate and work together in your opinion? Well, when I first got into UX design, I felt like this was the perfect fit for me because of the fact that I'm quite the empath. And when I say quite the empath, it means like literally I cry instead of someone else sometimes. <laughs> well, getting really personal and like vulnerable here. But anyway, I felt, okay, well... In design, everything always seems to be about how pretty it looks or how it brings certain KPIs or how it ties into business. But what I really loved about UX design was the you in the UX design, the thing about the user. And I thought, this is great. This is like having a very systematic approach by bringing together users, their problems, and business needs in a very practical way. I'm also a big believer in emotional design. So how, what does something feel like rather than like, what does it look like? And how can we combine both to bring people a very enjoyable and positive experience? You are speaking my language. I am the same way. I am all about the feeling as a whole. Now, when it comes to creating voice experiences that are inclusive, how does being a true empath and a UX designer play a role? Well, obviously, when you design an experience as a designer, no matter which designer, you you always kind of have to put yourself in the shoes of your user while you're supposed to. And that means that as a UX designer, you also do quite a lot of research and user interviews upfront. Well, ideally, if you get the chance to. And being an empath helps you see uh, not only what people are telling you, but also what they are feeling when they, they are telling it. Because I can tell you, Carrie, today, well, I'm very excited about voice. But then if my body language kind of says the entire opposite thing, which it doesn't, then that gives another indication about what's going on. And I think it's really important to not only walk in the shoes of your user, as Walt Disney used to say it, but also to kind of feel what they are feeling to be able to keep that momentum going throughout the entire design process. Because 
sometimes the design process is like filled up into very long processes. And so you can have user interviews at a certain point and you do the deliverables. And then you only start really conceptualizing uh, like the actual experience months later. And so you kind of lose that momentum. It's a big part of the framework for the voice design sprint that I've been putting together is a lot about staying in that momentum, staying in those feelings and staying in those shoes. And a question a lot of companies ask when it comes to voice is, how do I make mine an amazing experience? Everybody wants to be the best in everything. And I know you have a method that you use, but before we get into that, can you speak to how a company could do this in a way where the voice experience is what you call globally local? So going globally local, this is actually also tied into uh, a bit into inclusiveness. Uh, Globally local is being able to tailor your experience for people no matter what their accent is no matter where they live, in which country they live, or which language they speak. And so that is what I call being globally local. It has actually two phases to it. The first phase is, okay, you want to internationalize your voice skill. That is great. But have you thought about your use case for the country that you want to actually do it for? We have very different cultures, like from the US over Europe to Asia, There are just some use cases that don't fly in countries, in certain countries where they're really high on everything that is honor, for example. Jokes about things that aren't true might not go over as well as in another country. So internationalizing your voice experience on that behalf is not just saying, okay, well, I'll just put this through an automatic translator and off we go. It's actually revalidating use cases, revalidating with local users that your use case makes sense and perhaps they need another use case for your brand in that particular country. The second part of being globally local, any country now is a mix of cultures within boundaries anymore, however much some people would like to put us back into those boundaries. Like we're multicultural countries with a lot of people coming from a lot of backgrounds and this ties into inclusive design. Voice up to date is very, very standardized language specific. And this ties into the technology, but this also ties into the design of a voice skill. Like there is 10,000 ways to say one and the same thing in the same language. And if I have a different accent, it might come out totally differently. So yeah, making your skill globally local is actually an entire challenge, which you should be aware of because In the end, a conversation only goes right when it's in dialogue. In a dialogue, the two parties need to to be able to understand each other. So it's really important that you design it so that no matter where the person you are speaking with comes from, it still like goes the right way. So what you're talking about, inclusivity and global, I mean, you're talking about people speaking different languages, different accents, having different understanding and connotations of words. You're talking about people who have a disability. I mean, you have such a a large realm, you know, everybody is so different and that can seem overwhelming to somebody trying to create a skill. Is somebody going to be thinking about this in a way where they're creating one skill and then having a bunch of different versions of it to accommodate all these different types of people in different places in the world? 
Well, it depends what take you you decide upon. So one way to do it is to design your skill in your native language and then go and see different translator, transcreators in the different countries or languages you'd like to transcreate it to. Same thing. It can, when you talk about people with speech impairment, for example, it can be getting someone involved in the entire transcreation process and saying, okay, within my skill, within this language, what do I need to tailor my voice model for so that it understands people with speech impairments? And this is a bit more on the technical side as well as on the design side. It depends on what you want to do. What Do you want to make your skill universal by design, which means that when you start doing your skill, you kind of put it out there and make sure that it already englobes by design from the beginning all these possibilities, which can be quite overwhelming. But if you have a very systematic take to it, then if you use a very good framework that ties that totally into your first experience, then that's actually a very good take because it will save you a lot of money and time afterwards. On the other hand, if you say, okay, but oh, I just want to get like this one use case right for this one public, then that's okay too because you can make sure that it works right, okay, for this one public and then you can expand. What I think about the wow experience, like I think I'd probably be rich if I got like $1 for every single company that has told me, oh, we want to create a wow experience. And the thing is, wow experience, like the terminology of it kind of makes you think that it needs to be like this super innovative, super new, never seen before thing that no one else in the entire market will be doing and that everyone will be falling on their backs for. But I think in the current state of voice and in the current state of where companies are with their content legacy as well, a wow experience is also just getting the user from my problem to my solution. The wow experience is getting something as simple done as saying, okay, Google, talk to the client service of this brand. And the wow experience can be uh, just as simple as getting a job done from A to Z in as little interactions as possible. And so you kind of developed this method where you blend a design sprint with serious games. Can you talk about kind of the four steps and take us through what each one does and then kind of explain to us at the end why you think this works so well from a strategy standpoint? Of course. When I was going into companies, doing these workshops, finding out what we could do with them with voice, um, I started out with having loads and loads and loads of meetings, nobody really agreeing, because nobody really understood what voice was all about and what the possibilities and challenges yet are of the technology. And so I thought I need to make this more fluent for the companies I'm working with, because otherwise we're going to be in caught in this analysis paralysis where we kind of stay paralyzed and not do anything about this new technology because we fear the outcome because we don't really know what to do with it. We don't really know what the outcomes are going to be, uh, the ROI. We just keep going back and forth and not like actually putting something out there to be tested with users. And so I looked at the Google Design Sprint and I thought, huh, 
interesting. Like this might be like this might be a way framework that might actually work with voice and with the companies I'm working with to get this show on the road, as they say. And uh, Google had uh, started uh, thinking about a Google Action Design Sprint. So I thought, okay, let's test that out. And I tested it out. And I felt like the companies I tested it with, they just weren't there yet. Like the entire thing was about designing a persona, a system persona. And there were still like loads of questions out there about what can voice actually do? How does a conversation need to go before actually designing said conversation? And so little by little, one workshop at a time, I started like designing some serious games around it. And so the four-step framework became a six-step framework and like still four big modules, but there is one in there now that's called speaking. So basically, what are they? So the first step is understanding, but not just understanding the users, not just understanding the business, but understanding what is voice all about. And one of the serious games that I really like, which I do all the time, is called speech dating. And basically, it's like speed dating, only you get these cards with constraints on it for things that can actually happen with a voice assistant. So one of the examples is whatever you do, say, reply with, I don't know. Or another one is whatever you do, don't say anything, which is sometimes what happens when users interact with a voice assistant or give the wrong information, which is sometimes what voice assistants do to users. So, and that actually always gives very, very funny situations. But what it certainly does is it creates empathy about conversations. It creates the insights for the participants that no matter how well you want it to go, there was always going to be glitches in conversations and you need to be able to repair those when you're designing your voice application. On that first step, when you're playing these games, because that reminds me of a lot of like improv, like improv comedy or improv in acting. Do people feel comfortable doing that and allowing themselves to really play those roles to get the information they need? Or is that a process in itself, getting people to open up and really test this? There's a bit of both, but, and there is loads and loads of improv in my framework. And speech dating is kind of a very first step because it's like two people having a conversation with some constraints, so they're not really exposed to an entire group yet. So it goes little by little in my framework. Like the very first thing we do to speech dating is just two people facing each other. So no, like very little awkwardness and just having a conversation if they don't know each other about, okay, who are you? What are your expectations? And what is your passion in life? But basically these three questions, they don't really get a real answer to because they have all these constraints, right? So one of the constraints is actually like, okay, whatever you do, but give yourself a new persona and find yourself a new life. So like it's one by one. And then we move forward to a more open thing where people are in groups of four. And then... Finally, when there's uh, we, when we come to uh, the part that is about role-playing conversation, people are already so familiar with the methods, the role-play, that it kind of comes naturally in the end. Well, you always have people that feel a bit more restrained 
But usually, like, the speech dating gets them up to, like, putting themselves out there. And also, a voice design sprint, like any design sprint, is supposed to be a safe space. And it's supposed to be a creative space. And that's mostly up to the facilitator to kind of create that safe space, create that space where everyone can, like, be silly, creative, and productive at the same time. Yeah, again, that's another thing that I get really excited about in this voice space is this creative piece. I think a lot of people that maybe are new to voice think it's only technical, but there is so much that goes into the strategy and the creative piece in the beginning in order for the next steps to happen. That's so true because actually what happens once we've gone through, so the understanding phase where people have like been exposed to what users are saying and feeling and doing with the brand, understanding the brand and how it is talked about. Because I also integrate a bit of data and research here because I have this voice, what I call to be the voice application framework. And so that is about, from a data research point of view, people are actually asking on the interwebs about a brand, questions they are asking quantified. And then the use cases we are envisioning and we kind of confront both of them to see which one makes sense and where the sweet spot is between those two things, like between what users are actually from a research point of view needing, what the business as a use case and in the design sprint, the team is envisioning and where the sweet spot lies. Yes, that makes so much sense. So then we go on to our next step and what does that involve? And that's exactly that. That's defining what is going to be that use case, that one use case that we are going to put into voice, how we are going to give your brand a voice that makes sense, not only to you, but to your users. And so basically, when we do the voice application canvas I just talked about, we end up with a few aligned use cases. And then we go forward. Like Sometimes we have two, sometimes we have three, sometimes we have five, sometimes we have six. And what I then ask of participants is kind of do a quantum leap. Like, do a quantum leap. Imagine yourself in 10 years on the Amazon Skill Store or on the Google Assistant Explorer platform. What does your future appearance look like 10 years from now? What does your voice skill look like? And then there's voting that goes on to come to a consensus to actually end up with the one use case that feels like that makes most sense. It makes most sense from a user point of view. It makes most sense from what the business wants. And it also ties into something that can be taken forward, not only for a few months in the innovation team, but for a few years into an actual product. Yeah. And I think that's equally as important that you're talking about that, that you're not only starting from the beginning and saying, how do we develop this now, but also what do we want this to be looking like in the next 10 years? And how do we create a plan as best we can that is going to facilitate that in the best way possible? Exactly. And then once that's defined, we still have other things to define. There's a lot of defining going on. One thing, another thing to define is tone of voice. And I'd like to get into tone, go into tone of voice a little bit because a lot of the time we see a lot of communication about give your voice skill a personality. And we talked about inclusive design before. And if we go very deep into brand persona, into personality, 
My personal issue with that is the more you personify it, the more you actually exclude a lot of people that do not identify with that personality. Mm, Wait, I want to stop you there because, you know, you hear in branding and marketing all the time, if you try to be something to everyone, you know, it's not going to work, that you really got to find this niche. But are you saying that in voice that we should be thinking more about expanding towards everyone? Uh, What I'm saying is that you can give your voice skill, a tone of voice and a personality without per se personifying it. So one of the things that I do for that is I've come up with some cards and it's something I call tone sorting where you have like all these cards with different tones like enthusiast, for example, is one and says like includes expressions like great, amazing, let's go. It's a good fit for motivational, fitness, games, etc. We have so different tones of voices. That doesn't necessarily mean because I say, okay, great, amazing, let's go. My skill has an enthusiast tone of voice that it necessarily needs to be Lana, fitness coach, 36 years old, always on the go, very dynamic, super, always happy. It just means that my skill will have a motivational tone of voice that speaks to people that need to, like that have feel the need to be motivated which is a very big difference. Yeah, this is eye-opening for me, I think, because it is a little bit different when you think, you know, when you're doing website design or things of that nature, but you're saying in voice, again, not so specific to a particular person, but more, as you talked about earlier, this feeling. Yeah, exactly. And you can create adhesion to your brand using sound design, using quirky sounds that people recognize or very specific sounds that people recognize would recognize in the road. In France, we have the National Railway. They have this sound that goes dun, 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 dun. Well, forget, like, forgive my sinning. But anyway, everybody knows when they hear that sound, okay, that's the SNCF. That's the National French Railway. It doesn't say, hello, I'm this person, train conductor, 45 years old, always on the train, white male, etc., etc. It's a sound that's tied into a brand. When doing a tone of voice, it's the same thing. You can have an enthusiast vocabulary. You can have enthusiast intonation. You can have all of that without saying it is a male, a female, white, black, yellow, whatever color, this genre, this specific thing always happy-go-lucky person because that excludes so, so many Mm -hmm. people. So that doesn't mean that you're designing for everyone. It just means that you are not stigmatizing into a persona. You give it a personality without giving it a personification, which is not the same thing. Yes, wait, I want to stop you. You just said you give it a personality without a personification. Is that what you just said? Exactly that. Yes, that I think anyone listening, this is huge. And I think this is even beyond voice because like you're saying, it's about the feeling. For me, I like to use the word values, what people want, but it's not about specifying gender, race, age, economic background. And I think this is a very big point that we have not brought up before on this show. So I thank you for bringing it to light. It's what I feel in my in my gut feeling for voice, and not only for voice, but specifically for voice, and I'll tell you why. We were talking about this before recording the show about how new 
this still feels, even though we've been at it for a couple of years now, and I think this is actually a new opportunity to do things differently. This is a new interface. So I think it's important to think about the things we've been doing in a different way and how we could do them better, how we can make this more positive and more inclusive of different people. There are studies that show behavioral in behavioral psychology that when confronted with certain sounds, when confronted with a certain set of vocabulary, people actually change their behavior. So why should we like keep doing the thing we've always been doing with every single interface with voice? Like why wouldn't we like think about it in a different way, in a way that takes into account how people might be feeling, how mm-hmm. people might be different from other people. I really like the fact that voice is marketed as being a very accessible interface. But then again, I think it's still not big enough. It's not still saying, okay, well, voice is great for people with visual disabilities. Okay, but what then happens with people with hearing disabilities and people with speech impairment? And how can we make sure that everyone gets a valuable experience? Anyway, I'm going... Yes, yes, yes. And I know we're supposed to go in through all these steps, but I I want to be conscious of our time. But I think what you're saying here, Micah, is so important. I think the way that you have articulated this is the first time I've heard it in a way that really explains what it means to be inclusive. And I think the way you're saying it is is beautifully done. And I think it's something, whether you're doing it personally or for a company, how we need to be thinking about our voice strategy, our brand, how we're interacting with people, that it is so much more than, like you said, age, race, background, religion, any of that stuff. It's really about that feeling and what people need and want. And I am just like, I personally am very excited about this because I think that's a huge, huge thing to talk about. So I just want to move forward just a little bit. Have you worked with any companies that you can kind of talk about that have really done this well, that have really figured out a way to be inclusive and have that feeling that you're talking about? I think a lot of companies today and most of those that I've worked with are still very eager to find the best use case and inclusive design is not necessarily like the first thing on their list. Um, however, I've worked with a French appliance company that has actually, we've done the voice design sprint together, but not only that, they also hired a specialist in inclusive uh, design and they were so thrilled about all the role play that we've been doing in the voice design sprint that they also like did this inclusive design role play, which was super eye-opening. They were given all of them impairments in a very physical way so that they needed to like actually feel what was going on for this person. By the end of this entire process, like by the end of the voice design sprint, by the end of these role plays around inclusive design, is they had this entire roadmap set out for their voice skill and they actually turned it around. They turned the entire roadmap around, which for a huge company is major impact for everyone's planning, for like other versions of this voice skill. So yeah, I think it is certainly possible. And that's why I feel uh, in my framework that role play is so important because any designer, any person on any panel, on any conference can tell you, you should do more with inclusive design, or they can tell you, here are best practices. 
here are Grice's maxims and you should do error recovery. And this is what conversation design is all about. But as long as you don't actually live it, it's just a theory. You can't possibly know what someone with a visual impairment goes through in, unless you actually live it in a very concrete way. Just for things as simple also, like error recovery. Like a lot of people talk about error recovery in voice design. But if you've never experienced a conversation actually going super wrong and how you naturally recover from that in a very conscious way, then okay, someone can tell you about error recovery. But when you're actually designing your conversation, it will not be top of mind. And a lot of this voice specifically is about being top of mind. But just think back to what the use case, like what is the super use case you're talking about before, like a lot of companies I work with in the past, they ask me, okay, but how can we get people to buy from us through voice? What is the ROI? And I kind of sometimes tell them, okay, but like, do you know what the actual ROI was of billboards? At what point, when did which person buy because they saw your billboard? And we've gotten a bit obsessed about like metrics and percentages and what is the final dollar behind something. But I think that voice is more about staying top of mind. Like if a user has a great experience with your brand and not necessarily taking him through a classic sales funnel, but actually having a good experience, having a need met is about staying top of mind, about creating awareness around your brand. And I think if we need to bring it back to the funnel, it's more about being at the top of the funnel already before like really diving into like where it needs to go at the end. Yeah, I could not agree more. I am a branding person and I get that question a lot. What is the ROI? And I always say it's brand market sell. You know, you have to create that feeling, that connection with somebody. And that could take years, but now it's this consistent thing. It's top of mind. I'm hearing them all the time, interacting with them. Now I like them. Now I want to buy from them. And so I think you're right. It's not a direct, oh, I see it one time I'm going to buy. That's actually very rare. It's that feeling of this person or this company gets me. I get them. I'm excited about what they're doing oh, they offer this, now I want to purchase it. And I agree. I mean, I think what you're saying is, is right. It's really about being top of mind and being consistent. Yeah, and I think like this, a voice app is not a website. It's not just, I'm going to tell you super message and then put a big fat button that says, click here to get my free thing. <laughs> and then people click on it and then you send them another thing and then they actually buy. Okay, that's how it might work with visual things. But you have to create interest. You have to create a great experience and a great experience for as many people as possible because voice is about accessibility. And if you want to make it about accessibility and inclusiveness, then that's something we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about user experience even more so than any other interface like we've been through before. Yes, yes, yes. I am so excited about this conversation. <laughs> Micah, where can people connect with you or learn more, whether it's on a website or in social media or in voice? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn under Micah Coppens. And I'm also starting a voice webinar series on November 7th where I invite loads and loads of voice experts to do live Q&A so that 
people from brands, people that are interested in voice UX designers that don't do voice yet can actually like ask these fantastic people in the voice community all of their questions and actually get them answered. Perfect. And the last question I like to ask on this show to kind of create more awareness of what's out there in voice, is there a current voice skill experience or flash briefing that you're using and really enjoying right now? I've worked a lot in the past with a studio that is called Labworks and they have fantastic games out there. They even won a Webby Award. And so any of their games are really enjoyable, but I specifically enjoy Trivia Hero. Thank you so much, Micah, for just your insight and your passion for what you do. I think this has brought in just some new vocabulary and something we've talked about, but in a different way. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It was really, really awesome. We didn't go through the entire structured framework, but I felt we like we spoke about so much more important stuff than that. So I was really, really grateful to kind of share my point of view on making positivity louder for as many people as possible. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.